Good morning and welcome whether you are joining us for the first time or you've uh, been at several of our sermons online. We've now come to the third in our series of Hope for Troubled Hearts. This is looking at John's Gospel from chapter 14 to 17. We're looking at Jesus as he talks to his disciples in the last hours before his arrest, before he is tried and crucified. When he is preparing them for what is to come. They can see they, from their experiences of the week that things are coming to a head with the authorities. They can see that Jesus is not behaving in the way they would expect a Messiah to behave. So, what's happening? They're confused. Things are changing. Things they thought they understood don't seem to be working out the way they expected. Obviously, it's different from our current situation. But there are also some similarities. We live in a time of confusion, of change. Nobody really knows what is happening with this virus. Nobody really knows, is it getting better? Is it just going to come back later? What is it safe to do? What isn't? Science can't give the answers looking at other countries appears not to give the answers. So, how do we live when we're uncertain? What certainties are there? Jesus, in the first part of this chapter, told his disciples that he was going to back to his father, that he would come back for them, there would be many rooms for them. But this was all a bit too confusing for them. So last week we looked at where Thomas responded, well how do we know where you're going? And Jesus talked about being the way, the truth and the life. Today as we come to verses 7 to 11, we're looking at another response, this time from Philip. Though verse 7 really comes from the end of the, after the verse where Jesus says he's the way, the truth and the life, but it links into what we're doing. So from verse 7. If you had known me, you'd have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. One thing I find encouraging about the Bible accounts is they don't hide difficulties. 
And that's reassuring for us. Because here we had first last week Thomas and now Philip both seeing a bit dim. And this is an encouragement to us that if they found things difficult, if we sometimes find things difficult to understand, that is not a big surprise. We, as we'll find out in the later passages, have the help of the Holy Spirit. But even so, we often find things difficult, can't understand what is happening. I found it interesting a couple of weeks ago when Sam did uh, some quiz, a quiz type thing in our Zoom, that when we were given the option of whether we'd get, like to go back to a time in the past, a time in the future, or quite happy where we are, the majority of people chose to go back to a time in the past. I don't know what people's individual reasons for that were, but I suspect some of it is that we would want to go back to the past to find out what really happened because we're not totally certain on the evidence we've got now what did happen and we are curious and want to know. However, I suspect if we did go back we probably wouldn't be any clearer. Things only tend to seem clear when we look in the past because there's now a consensus on what was the right thing to do and also we can uh, we just don't have so much detail so therefore we got a much simpler way of looking at things i think if you went back to any time in the past you'd find life confusing and difficult and this is what is happening here for these disciples jesus is going he's told them that He's indicated he's going to die by crucifixion. Whether they've really taken that on board yet, I'm not sure. But they're confused. Things don't seem to fit as to how they think things ought to work out. So, how do we approach this? First of all, Notice Jesus doesn't just dismiss what Thomas and Philip says. There is an element where we can see where he seems to be uh, reproving a bit for being slow. As we've got here in verse 9 where Jesus says, Have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? And sometimes for us in our Christian lives, it can appear, we think, well, we've been Christians for some time now. Why is it that things still seem sometimes a bit confusing? I don't always understand what's going on. But when we look at what Philip is saying, it, what he's effectively saying is, you don't fit in with my conception of how God should be. And one of the hardest things to change is our preconceptions, our ideas of how things ought to be. And this can get in the way of us understanding who Jesus is. This can be a problem when somebody is uh, looking at Christianity, looking at Jesus and wondering whether to follow him. 
all of us have preconceptions of what a religion is or isn't. One of the fascinating things about Dawkins' book about God, and he ends up with a whole long list of a bit over 60 different reasons why uh, belief in God is not a good idea. Now, I haven't read all of it in detail, but Andrew Wilson did. And he decided that about just over half of Dawkins' reasons for not believing in God, an average Christian would believe as well. Because what Dawkins is often rejecting in this case is not Jesus and the God we believe, but some kind of image of God he has. And it's almost that he gets angry that God doesn't work in the way he thinks God ought to work. So, what do we know about Philip? In the other Gospels, he just appears once in lists of the Apostles. But in... Uh, John's Gospel, Philip appears another three times. Just before this time, uh, when they're in Jerusalem, some Greek visitors to Jerusalem come to Philip and ask him to arrange a meeting between them and Jesus. He also has, if you like, a walk-on part in the feeding of the 5,000. When he's the one who comes up with the bright idea that even if they had about £10,000, they wouldn't have enough money to get enough food for everybody to eat and be satisfied. So obviously somebody can fathom figures out. But I think the interesting account of him comes in chapter 1, when he actually meets Jesus for the first time. It's at the time when Jesus is calling his disciples. And we're told that having called some already, he now decides to go to Galilee. This is John chapter 1 from verse 43. The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree. I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. So we see here that Philip has various ideas about Jesus. Almost as he meets him, he recognises him as one whom Moses and the prophets wrote. And his friend Nathaniel, who he introduces him, Jesus to, calls Jesus the Son of God, the King of Israel. 
So therefore, we can be fairly sure that Philip has got various ideas about who Jesus should be. And Jesus is not really fitting his ideas. He's not fitting his ideas of what the Son of God should do. He's not fitting his ideas of the King of Israel. He's not fitting his ideas of the one on whom Moses and the prophets spoke. And so what we have to do, what Philip has to do, is actually listen to what Jesus says. Because we can be just as slow as Thomas and Philip. We can be with Jesus for some time and still not really allow his way of thinking to change us. In fact, I think the longer we continue in the Christian faith, almost the more aware we become of our lack of following Jesus fully. We become more aware that we don't do what we know we ought to do. So let's not get discouraged when this sort of situation comes across to us. Because it's what Jesus knew with his disciples. It's what he responded to with his disciples. And he responds to us too. So let's not be afraid to ask for him to explain, for him to help. We don't always get the answers we want, but we get the answers we need. So, what is Jesus telling Philip here? He's saying, look, your expectation of me as the Messiah was that I would show you and Israel the way back to the Father, the way back to God. Actually, what I'm doing is much greater than that. I'm not showing you the way back to God. I am God. I am the Father, in that sense. Now, obviously, Jesus, the Son, and God the Father, or what though one God, are different. But he's making the point here, if you want to see the Father, look at me. I tell you all you need to know about the Father. All these ideas that there's an Old Testament God and a New Testament God just are not supported by the text. They're ideas which come about because people are trying to fit the text, in a sense, to their ideas. So they select the bits they're interested in which support their ideas. I think this is one of the biggest things we've always got to do is make sure we're not using scripture to support our ideas but we are looking at scripture we asking for help from the Holy Spirit to understand what God is really saying there's been quite a bit of fun had at President Trump recently for the way he handled the Bible 
and I was tempted to get involved as much as anyone else was. But it's easy to mock or attack people when the way which you do so ties in with the general assumptions of everybody else around us. Where it gets a lot harder is when we we look at what Jesus teaches and it's different from what people around about us expect and want. Are we equally willing to speak out then? Andrew Wilson uh, earlier today, this was recorded on Friday, posted on the Think Theology website a very helpful uh, post on whether we're just uh, virtue signalling to people we want to impress or are we helping to spread God's truth if we do that we're going to get support from people sometimes but not always because God's truth always comes with a challenge God's truth always tends to undermine some of our preconceptions so in this way here where Philip needed his preconceptions about Jesus, what his role was, challenged, we need to be having our preconceptions about Jesus challenged as well. We need to look to him. We need to say, what way would you want me to be following at this time? So, when we come to a situation, and we might say to ourselves, I don't know God what you're doing here, I can't understand, why do my prayers not seem to be answered, why am I going through difficulty, why is my family going through difficulty, why is the country, why, there's all kinds of questions we can come and we don't know the answers. What we can do is we can come to Jesus. We can lay everything at his feet. One thing I've had to learn is that when I come and pray is not to tell God what he should be doing about the situation. I think it was Tim Keller who said that if our prayers don't get answered the way we want them to, it's probably because God is answering our prayers in the way we would have prayed if we know as much as he knows. Looking back, I can see situations where what I would have thought was best certainly wouldn't have been. But I can see that looking back with hindsight. Not at, wouldn't have perceived that at the time. So let us go forward with confidence that God knows what is best for us. That Jesus is leading us in the way that we need to go. Let's have confidence in him. 
And when it doesn't fit with how we think God ought to be, our response should not be to say, oh, well, you can't be God then. Our response should be to review how we see God, to see what he is really like. Because we know that the Jesus who loves us, who died for us, who saved us, is the same Jesus who is at the right hand of the Father. And he's the same one we pray to, who intercedes on our behalf. Therefore we can have confidence for the future. Same as Philip and the other apostles at this time could have confidence, even though they couldn't see what was going to happen. They were terribly confused. But Jesus knew, and he was going to do something which was far greater than they ever thought possible.